The Other Side of the News is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from The Other Side of Midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus... To bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary... Based on well-verified references vetted through vigilance and discernment. Our desire, desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way. With clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. Welcome. My name is Timothy Saunders. I'm one of your co-hosts on this 37th edition of The Other Side of the News. I'm speaking to you this morning from semi-lockdown southwest Turkey, which for many of you is situated on the other side of the planet. As the dawn chorus begins to warm up here, hopefully many of you are relaxing into a snug winter evening, perhaps already planning your end-of-year celebrations. I will soon be joined by co-host and producer Kinthia, together with co-host and researcher Annette Driscoll, who are both speaking this evening from the infamous Wheelhouse in California. This show is entitled Ike Clockwork. Following a momentous build-up, the minority working through the world's weak puppet governments with almost all global mainstream and social media platforms at their disposal has finally reached the milestone in their agenda where vaccinations have been rushed through development, taking every possible shortcut to the point where human testing has begun with a prick. Speaking of pricks, Matt Hancock, Secretary of State for Health and a member of the UK's glove puppet cabinet, feigned a few tears in relief and celebration on live TV this week. However, his underlying grimace was more powerful than his staged waterworks. Yes, TV presenters in the UK, one of the early testing grounds, act as if the vaccine is going to save the planet. To members of this sleeping cult, humanity really has become a pushover and their reality a cartoon reflection of itself. Have these people not yet connected the dots? Have the words problem reaction solution really not appeared on their radar? In the absence of trusted mainstream sources, we live in an age of extreme censorship. Another important video was banned this week, very soon after its release which showed doctors from all around the world staking their professional reputation on the line, stating, do not take the vaccine. You may find a link to this on our webpage. Without independent research, with a view to extract data from both sides of your comfort line, without due diligence and discernment, and without taking individual responsibility for the information you allow to enter your brain, you will never know the truth. This is the reason why many people are still queuing up for the vaccine. 
and the reason why much of humanity has lost the ability to trust their instinct, to open their eyes and to see the truth. For those who believe the vaccination marks the end of this release of COVID, I would not get too excited just yet. The first victims to receive the vaccine in the UK this week were a 90-year-old woman named Margaret Keenan and an 81-year-old man named William Shakespeare. I guess they could not find anyone called Michelle or Michael Mouse at short notice. I do generally wish them well. However, those who are paying attention to the news commentary may be surprised to hear this Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine will neither prevent the victim from contracting COVID-19 nor prevent the victim from transmitting COVID-19. So this long-awaited vaccine, this perceived conqueror of COVID, which in almost all cases invisibly resides within us until indicated by a totally inappropriate and highly amplified RT-PCR test, will not put an end to the useless mask wearing, anti-social distancing, unscientific and damaging lockdowns, and the strangulation of the global economy nor will it protect the contraction or transmission of the alleged threat. So what the fuck is this all about? Why have so many people been made to suffer during the last almost year? Can anyone still believe this pandemic has anything to do with health? How can anyone continue to daydream their way through this corruption and tyranny? For clarity, this vaccination milestone will not mark the end of this insane measures. Unfortunately, it most likely marks the beginning of the next phase. I would therefore not celebrate the end of this COVID pandemic just yet. For those who do smell the coffee, you will already be taking your own mental and physical health under your own control. However, for those who still buy in or even have their doubts, this really is time to make potentially the most important choice you and your family will ever make. To either take responsibility for your own reality or to accept this increasingly draconian power grab of our freedom and sovereign human rights until circa 2025. Yes, the banks have already planned for this. Official documents exist and have been in circulation for years. This phase to attempt to wear down and break human spirit has long been planned until 2025. As the ramp up to the dawn of the new age, the fourth industrial revolution and the great reset, I am not making this up. However, this is not an inevitable outcome. We are the majority and they are the minority. We hold the power. And through gaining awareness and understanding, now is the time to stop giving this power away. I very much look forward to hearing our guests' perspective regarding this essential awakening process, all with a view to illuminate the best path to lead us to a positive outcome. You may find us at www midnight.com click on the other side of the news in the drop down menu or kindly scroll down to tonight's white the other side of the news show banner there you will see details for this show quick links to our bios as well as links to our show items references and selected research as usual there's a huge collection of information to read watch and listen to most of which has been handpicked from independent sources I urge you to study them and to even download your own copies sooner than later, as the censorship robots are working around the clock to rewrite our history in real time. During the last seven days, we have seen many remarkable events in the headlines reported in the news. To discuss and present each topic in correct context could easily fill up an entire show by itself. As the other side of the news is not per se a typical news show, 
and in order to make the best use of our available airtime, I believe we should plot a direct course to greet the rest of our team and to introduce our guest. That said, I do believe it is noteworthy to mention that a recent RT-PCR test of 9,000 students at Cambridge University initially diagnosed 100% positive results. However, on a second validation run, these 9,000 positive cases were reduced to, well, zero. Also, I've added a link to interviews that came to light this week with Kerry Mullis, the Nobel Prize-winning inventor of the PCR test, who himself clearly stated this test is not appropriate for viral testing. Apparently, he was not a fan of the CDC's patent-holding, shareholding, and cheating Dr. Fauci. In fact, he even casts a great shadow of doubt to another one of Dr. Fauci's little projects, AIDS. You may be interested to take a look at these interviews. I did not realize Kerry Mullis died only recently. In fact, in August of 2019. How convenient. I do hope someone will verify his cause of death to be totally natural. It is ironic his test has been misused as the prime excuse to re-engineer humanity. However, this is only a test, incorrectly used and in the wrong hands. Humans are nothing if not very creative, forgiving and resilient. But now is the time to act. If you smell the coffee, please tell a friend. Despite the initial unpleasant realization of the truth, you will see there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is an increasing number of respected journalists, writers, politicians, doctors, lawyers, influencers and activists who are wide awake and are already making great impact. All they require from you is to unplug from mainstream media and social media propaganda, to make your own independent research, to stop acquiescing and to stand up for what you believe in with respect to others. Gareth Icke, our guest, is such an individual. I look forward to him joining us shortly. Good evening, Kintia. Good evening, Anessa. Has Governor Newsom charmed you into feeling a prick yet? Well, Timothy, since I haven't volunteered and they haven't made lobotomies mandatory yet, mm, no, I'm thinking not. I'm thinking that I'm not going to go for that. I'm thinking that I would like to do something else to the prick, but it's it's not something we could discuss on the radio. You know what I mean? But I do have something that we could do for Californians, and that is, uh, I put the I put the link in a couple of weeks ago, and I can put it back in again about the recall petition and the website that explains all of that. Over eight hundred thousand signatures have been gathered so far into recalling him as the governor. So we're hoping to get him out of office in one way or the other in two thousand twenty-one. And how is life for you, Kinthea? The highlights of my week has been the conflict in my family about Christmas. So half of my family wants to celebrate it. The other half wants to go into lockdown. And I'm just like, oh, you know, I love them. I love them all. And I can only be truthful with them. I'm, I'm for getting together. And those of us who are willing to will. And those of us who aren't won't. So, you know, so it's going to be a memorable some... Christmas. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be a memorable Christmas. That's for sure. A one well, of a to... kind. And I hope it will be the last one that of that one of a kind. Well, I have to say, I think that a bit of Christmas cheer, you know, sort of putting the trees up and you know, decorating the place and 
bringing people together and sort of just taking their mind off this ridiculous uh, pandemic thing just for a few days would, would recharge and make everybody feel a lot more in balance with themselves, frankly. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel the same way. And this year, my one of my sons wants to host the event and he's all in. <laughs> he's planning all these activities. And oh, bless his heart. What can I say? <laughs> Good on him. Good on him. Yeah. I mean, here, here in Turkey, they, they don't celebrate Christmas per se, uh, but they decorate the place as if it's Christmas time with trees uh -huh. and, you know, lights and all sorts of things. And uh, they they celebrate uh, New Year's Eve. And that that's kind of a big a big event, but in the style of Christmas. So, oh. you know, my okay. kids get a, get the flavor of Christmas and we, we always celebrate it. Um, keep the, uh, the myth of Santa Claus alive and the reindeer and all that sort of stuff. I mean, they're getting a little bit older now. Uh, I don't want to give any spoiler alerts uh, or any spoilers out even, but um, you know, we will have a semblance of Christmas this year and I'm looking forward to, to that with my kids. How about you, Annette? Have you got any plans? I'm planning on spending it with my cats, I think, uh, which is good. It's a recharge for me. I, I don't have any family um, on this side of the country. And so I'm just going to be quiet and just recharge over the, the holiday time. And I'm really looking forward to it because we have a lot of stuff going on with, you know, on the planet. Astrologically, there's huge shifts. That's what all my astrologer friends tell me. Don't ask me to explain because I can't. But uh we have some really good stuff that's happening, especially on the 21st. So as we go into Christmas, um, my friends tell me that if you can't feel the shift, you're probably dead. So, I mean, it's that powerful and it's that good. <laughs> so, Sounds I mean, I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm planning on, you know, doing things that have fallen behind and just planning how I'm going to handle this next phase of my life and next year and, um, you know, do, basically do a restart, do a hard mm -hmm. restart. And I think a lot of us need to do that. <laughs> I've, I've heard that you're a, a, a wizard in the kitchen. Uh, do you, are you planning to cook anything special to sort of mark the event? Well, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but that's an excellent idea because that's, that's actually one of my, that's one of the ways I soothe myself is this cooking. And, and I tend to, I tend to cook for a lot of other people this year. I don't have that. So I'm, I'm thinking, I think i probably should do that. I think that's a great idea. And I, I think people doing their traditional things, whatever that looks like for them, whether it's trimming the tree or fixing special food or spending time with family really is more important this year than it's ever been for us. So maybe this is a time to kind of, uh, you know, really, uh, gather those things together as far as traditions and whatever that might look like for your yourself and your family and really pay attention to it and you know maybe not be in the hurried rush a lot of people are around the holidays a lot of people are just uh, spending tons of time shopping and stuff like that I don't see that happening this year I don't know what you guys are seeing I'm not seeing so much of that this year well who knows maybe this year people will think about the the actual reasons the origins of Christmas instead of the the commercial side. Who knows? I mean, I'm not particularly a religious person, but, uh, you know, it's supposed to be a time of coming together and uh, marking a special occasion and so on. I mean, there are all various interpretations of that. But, 
yeah, as I say, I'm not a particularly religious person, but I I do still enjoy taking the time out to to come together with special people and uh, you know just relax, enjoy, and, and and think about the positive things in life. So I, that's that's the way I would celebrate Christmas. Yeah, I mean the 21st is the shortest day of the year. It's the shortest night, or it's the longest night, shortest day, and it's a really good time to like kind of take stock of all the good things that happened in the year. And I know this year's kind of there's still good stuff that happened, even though it was kind of a messed up year. Uh, but I think it's really important to look at that and go, huh, you know, what did I do? What what happened this year that's great? And what do I want to bring forward? And what do I want to change? It's a wonderful time to just take that time off. Excellent. Kintia, I have to say I'm pretty excited about our guest coming on. Are I you, am uh... super excited. I am super excited. I'd love to introduce him. So tonight we have the pleasure and honor of having Gareth Ike. He is a musician, author, actor, and TV presenter. Gareth Ike first came into the public spotlight with his band Cody, who toured all over Europe and America. When the band split up, he released his first solo album, It Gets Worse at Night, in 2009. And the single Feels Like a Race was playlisted by BBC Radio Number 1. His second album, A Brand New Battle, contains perhaps his best-known song, Remember Who You Are. It was released on Aromeda Records in 2012 and yielded three singles, Remember Who You Are, What's Love Without Meaning, and Beat Up. He also wrote How Not to Be a Rock Star, a book based on his exploits on tour with a punk rock band, Cody. Gareth Ike presents a music show called The Band on the TV channel The People's Voice. He's set to appear in an independent movie called a New York Story. Gareth is the son of the influential, world-renowned public speaker and activist David Icke. Gareth has recently launched a new podcast together with Richard Willett called WTAF, What the Actual Fuck, <laughs> where they actually cover topics that are critical to these times of great change joining the voices of rebellion across the planet. Welcome to the other side of the news, Gareth. Are you here? Hey, thank you very much for having me. I'm here, yes. Thanks Such for having me. Such a pleasure. We're so excited to have you with us tonight. I just have to ask you, because I, I really want to know, what is it like for you? I mean, you have been on the leading edge since you were a child watching your father go through his journey and all the controversy there. And I, I'm sure that that etched into you. Hmm. Let's not follow the traditional path. You are a, a scout. I would, I think as a voice of the people, what, what's it like for you growing up to be in this situation? A unique one, certainly. Um, it's, it's a it's, it's a weird one, really, because I don't know any different. So I get 
I get asked that a lot, you know, we're like, you know, how was it growing up? And it's, to me, it was normal. Um, whereas I suppose to most people, they'd be like, you know, what, what, what a crazy upbringing. But, um, <laughs> I guess one thing, one thing it taught me is to, is to not really care too much what people think, but to do what you know is right or feel is right and what's true to you. So you hear it a lot, you know, people say, you know, I don't care what other people think, but you know, once you've poked a bit, you've realized that actually they really do care exactly what everyone else thinks. So, um, I think it gave me that like a genuine kind of, I'm going to do what I want when I want. And if, if, if people, you know, want to call me names and, and have a go, then that's, that's up to them. You know, it's, um, I remember once someone saying to my dad, I've got a problem with you. And he replied, well, good luck with it. And then, and, and they were like, <laughs> what? And he was like, he was like, well, you, you've just said yourself, you've got the problem. I haven't got a problem with me. So I hope you, I hope you, you know, get your problem sorted. Um, and so I kind of live a little bit like that really. Um, which has become quite um, quite important in this crazy time that we're in now, um, where you know any any step outside the box is met with vitriol. Um, I think not caring about the vitriol is quite important. Well, I think you mentioning not caring what other people think it really gets down to our core truth is that we have to be. Uh, internally driven, you know, by the truth that's inside of us. And we've been so programmed to listen to everyone outside of us that most people don't even know what their own voice is. They, they haven't a clue. So, you know, when I see someone like yourself, who's an, an artist and putting out messages of uh, authenticity it's an inspiration for others to look at themselves and find out what do they really feel and think for the note for themselves. And, uh, that's a powerful yeah, no, message. You, uh, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's, a, it's a strange one because, um, at the same time, I'm lucky in the sense that I, I'm, I, I kind of, I guess I, I work for myself, you know, I, I do what I do and, and, and I don't have a boss and I don't have to answer to people. So I do understand, you know, I have, especially when this whole thing kicked off, a lot of people messaged me privately saying, you know, I agree with you, but if I vocalize that, then I'd lose my job. And and, and I do get it to a certain level because <clears throat> I used to work for, for a company called Virgin Active um, as a personal trainer um, at a couple of their um, uh, gym uh, complexes here in England. And you know, I, I was at the time was raising money for 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 Gaza, um, for for Palestinians um, who were trying to sort of rebuild their homes and stuff after the 2014 um, war. And um, you know, I had people trying to get me sacked for that, saying that I was raising money for terrorists, which oh. was hilarious because you know it was going to kids to to feed kids and to and to help you know um, build you know rebuild shelters and stuff like that so you know as far away from terrorism as you can get but but i had people trying to get me sacked and, and fortunately the the boss um that i worked under was was a really top guy who agreed with me politically so so it was fine but so i do understand why people sometimes you know don't want to put their head above the the parapet because it's kind of you know they're going to lose their job or whatever but i think we get to a point in the end and i think we're pretty close to that point now where it if if you don't stand up then you know losing your job will be the least of your worries basically for sure for absolutely sure and that's why we need voices like yours out there encouraging people to stand up to speak their truth well yeah i mean it 
It's funny because I never wanted it to, I never expected it. So I, I kind of, you know, for me, like I just sort of get on with it and, um, I, you know, play in my band and, and make a noise and drink beer with my friends and, and be true to myself. And I remember once dad talking to, to a psychic lady who, when I was a kid saying, you know, your, your son's going to, going to do stuff with humanity and stuff. And I was like, Oh, go away. I want to be a footballer. Um, <laughs> but, but over this whole thing I got asked to speak at an event in Birmingham and I'd never done public speaking before it wasn't anything I'd ever had any interest in doing and I was well aware that you know I was being asked to do it because I was sort of like you know the the second best option because they couldn't get me dad um but it was fine I was like yeah okay you know I'll come and and, and say a few words and and for me like if I'm going to do something I'll always I'll always put everything into it otherwise I, I would just not agree to doing it I don't see the point in doing something sort of half-baked so so I wrote a speech and I turned up and there's probably about a thousand people there at this protest in Birmingham. Um, and it transpired that all the other speakers, uh, you know, they've been doing it for years and they basically just turn up and they talk. And so there's me with my, you know, properly scripted speech with everything, you know, um, right. Pause for effect at this bit, like, blah, blah, blah. I like, really, really thought about it. So I delivered this speech and it, it went down really well and I wasn't expecting it to, but it did. And then that was it. Then I was on, I was on the, the, the lecture circuit, um, which i like I say, was the, the last thing I expected to happen. But it was extraordinary that people actually cared about what I had to say. Um, and then I, I was asked to speak in London, and that was, there was about 45,000 people there. And I did the speech there, and then it, it went viral on Facebook, and it was like something like 3.8 million views before the, the Times newspaper had Facebook delete it, which is very odd. I, I don't know why, why a media organization is trying to get other people to censor people is odd. I just think just report the report the news, mate. But um, but yeah, that just went crazy, and and now here I am with people listening to me, and I'm I'm talking on your show. What what, what a crazy world we live in. Exactly. We we you know we're just beginning to tap our hidden potentials. I know that for myself, I never imagined I would be doing such a show, and I. More and more people that I see, it's interesting with this lockdown, while they've tried to confine us, what's actually happened for, happening for a lot of people is that they are discovering hidden talents or talents that they've put away and they're now bringing forward. And um, so it's a great awakening on many levels, many, many levels. Oh, oh, absolutely, and and it's 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 funny actually that a lot of people that I had lots in common with for years, I'd consider friends, politically very very switched on. Um, when it comes to government manipulation, they're very aware. They're quite hard to fool, really. Um, who have been sucked in by this completely? But then on the other hand, there's a massive massive majority of people that would you know oh, conspiracy theory, shut up. Um, who are now like, hang on maybe maybe this isn't so mad you know um like you say people have been stuck in their houses and they've been researching and things and asking questions that they would never normally do because they'd normally be too busy you know right. people would be at work 48 hours a week and then they come home and they have their dinner and they're tired and you just put a film on yeah all right love and you fall asleep on the sofa you know a lot of people live lives like that and then comes to the weekend and what do we do go to the football and then the pub and that's it sleep it off on sunday watching colombo um and all of a sudden, those people have got, you know, you can't go to the pub because they're all closed. So what am I going to do? I don't know. I'll just I'll just have a look on the Internet. I'll just have a little read of this or I'll just research this or I'll just watch this video on this. And people have started to kind of ask a few more questions. So you're right. There is, there's an awakening happening. You can feel it. 
very strongly. And it's interesting, the community, some communities that you would think would be all for it, like you said, your political friends who buy it. I know that in the new age communities, you would think they would like see it. And, and I'm amazed at, at the division there. It's really like we're entering into parallel universes where each one is perceiving a totally different reality. And like, how do we reconcile these two perspectives? I mean, can they both coexist? Is it even possible? It's just shocking to me how what seems so blatantly obvious to one side is totally obscure to the other. Yeah, hmm. I agree. And, and there seems to be quite a lot of, um, I'm right. Therefore, you must be wrong because you're not agreeing with me. And if you're wrong, your opinion is is largely irrelevant. Um, there's quite a lot of that going on um, as opposed to, um, you know, you have your opinion and, and that's great and I'll have mine and we don't agree, but that's fine. Um, you know, there's not there doesn't seem to be much of that anymore. Not, not that I can see in England. I don't know if it's the same way you are. Exactly. And you know what? We have reached the bottom of the hour. So you're listening to the other side of the news. Our show tonight is called Ike Clockwork, and uh, we'll catch you after the break. right here i really enjoy the other side of the news quality conversations quality information and always food support says, am I being selfish? And I said, absolutely, but I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for my grandchildren and my grandchildren's children. I see the loss of rights and freedoms. I've lived long enough to know what's happened here and I cannot stand back and simply comply. I'm gonna resist those measures with everything that I have, uh, emotionally, psychologically, physically, legally, not allow our rights and freedoms to be taken from us. We have to stand up for them. This is where I say that we have to become adults. We have to stand up for our rights and freedoms. We can't ask for them. We have to demand that they be honored and respected. Masking is part of the strategy of totalitarian tiptoe. We just keep encroaching on you, and it's just a little bit worse than it was yesterday. 
and most people don't see it, but we see it. And that's why this program and the work that you guys are doing is so important. This is Ted Kunz from Vaccine Choice Canada. I just want to reach out and express my gratitude to other side of the news for all that you guys are doing to empower humanity and bring us to a higher state of consciousness. Uh, the time that we shared together was a real pleasure, rich conversation. And I know that all of you are uh, higher conscious beings who are uh, part of the solution. I just want to express my gratitude to Kinthia, Timothy and Aneta and your program, The Other Side of the News. You guys are great. Good evening. Welcome back to Ike Clockwork. This is our 37th show. And we have Gareth Ike uh, as our guest this evening. And I am pretty interested in hearing uh, what he has to say about speaking out. We kind of left off on that before the break. And we were talking about the division between people. There seems to be this... Mm, there's not a lot of middle ground at this point. You either believe that there's something going on that's nefarious or you don't, or, you know, it's this kind of um, dichotomy that we see this splitting open. And, and Cynthia suggested maybe a parallel universe. And I'm still thinking we're all on the same planet and I'm looking for ways of speaking out and taking action and what seems to be effective for people. I've, I've suggested things before on the show, and I'd love to hear what you have to say, Gareth, about what's working, what you see working, what you're, you know, what do you find effective? Is there something? And how do you feel people can go about getting the word out and getting people to wake up that aren't awake yet? Unfortunately, people tend to be, in my experience, uh, quite quite selfish or at least quite sort of self-involved and it's almost like if it doesn't affect them then it's not really important and um i think that's one thing that that is going to change throughout this certainly in the uk because the, the country's being destroyed and so uh, you know everyone's being affected by it in terms of livelihoods and and, and ability to to socialize and, and mental health and stuff like that so suddenly these things that, well, they don't really affect me, so they don't really matter, um, is coming to everyone's front door. And, and as much as that's a bad thing, that, that this, all these negative things are happening, I kind of always try and see some positive in everything. And I think that could be a positive that sort of brings everyone together, you know. Um, I mean, we've been absolutely up against it probably for probably the last four, well, I mean, you know, there's been division since the dawn of time, but probably for about the last four years, um, in the UK at least with Brexit, that was that was made, you know, I mean, what it should have been was, do you want to stay in the EU or do you want to leave the EU? Um, answer yes or no, and, and then we'll carry on with our lives. But what it turned into was that if you want to leave the European Union, you're a racist. Um, if you want to stay in the European Union, you know, you, you're an idiot. You don't understand what's happening, blah, blah, blah. blah. You're, you're anti-British or, or whatever. You know, there became this absolute black and white fault line with no grey area in the middle, which is, you know, I, th I believe most people are probably in a gray area in the middle really um and then obviously i guess you know in the states you've had it you know you're either for trump or against trump there's no I, th I kind of think trump's done a bit of good and a bit of bad it's like you either hate him or you love him and there's no middle ground you're on you're on our side or you're against us um 
you know, it was the same very much with with the with Black Lives Matter stuff here. You know, um, Black Lives Matter. Um, there's there's a big thing going on in the news at the moment in the UK because, um, you know, the organisation Black Lives Matter, um, you know, capital B, capital L, capital capital M are, are, are you know a political organisation who who want to you know overthrow capitalism and they want to defund the police and they want to do this and they want to do that and and whilst I like to think pretty much almost 100% of, of British people agree that black lives matter. Of course they matter. Um, fortunate, unfortunate enough to not know anyone that doesn't agree with that. Um, they don't agree with BLM as a political organization. So last weekend, um, all the footballers at a particular football ground took the knee as they do. And the fans who were only just allowed back into the grounds now, just, just 2000 fans are allowed in each stadium. They booed. And they booed a political organization that they don't agree with. And um, there's been absolute outrage, as you can imagine, in the mainstream media. You know, 2,000 racists. And it's, you know, <laughs> it's all so one side or another. There's no gray area. People can't look at a situation and, and say, you know. And so that's a problem. But that's been something I think that's been manipulated for a long time. You know, if you want to control 100% of people, it's a lot easier if 50% are fighting the other 50%. They're not focusing on you. Um, and that certainly happened. So in terms of bringing people together, that's the million-dollar question. And, mm. um, and, um, and I, I do believe, though, that, that as this awakening happens, as more and more people are starting to, to see what's happening, you know, at different levels. So someone might, you know, see that, okay, the PCR test is a scam. And that, and that might be as far as they'll go. You know, they won't go across the Rubicon to anything worse, like more nefarious than that. But it's kind of right. OK, so they're at a point where it's a scam and then you've got different people. But um, one thing I have seen at the protests, at least, is every single sex, color, sexual orientation um, is is represented, which is fantastic. Um, and so the more they grow, uh, I have I have a hope, you know quite a big hope to be fair that that people will start to see that actually you know even just for 10 minutes can we put down this nonsense of you're a different color to me or a different sexuality to me or a different gender to me can we just forget that for 20 minutes please while we try and save our lives um and yeah i have hope that that will happen and i think the, the only negative with that is i think it will probably have to get worse before it gets better People, people, unfortunately, don't don't tend to don't tend to get off their backside and fight until they've got no choice but to get off their backside and fight. Well, it's, it's interesting because I think the threshold for that getting off your backside and fighting is is very different. Like for me, when I happened, it was something I felt immediately because my threshold is a lot lower. In other words, I. I won't tolerate stuff as much. And I see there's a huge division there too. And I do totally agree with the whole divide and conquer. That's their technique. You know, we know, we know how they, how they convince people of things and all that. I mean, they're, it's, it's well, well documented. Um, so yeah. And, and about the black lives matter or any of the other things that you can think of, it's, it's this politicizing of them in the black and white. I mean, I am, I'll say it on, on air, I'm very anti-BLM, but I'm very pro, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm certainly not racist. I have very, I have many black friends and I'm, I'm very supportive of that. 
but I am not into all of the, the activities that this particular organization is partaking in. So I'm, you know, I try to be clear with people when I talk to them and say, you know, it's not quite as black and white as what you're looking at. You know, there, there is this gray zone. And I do think most people do fall into that gray zone. So what I try to do when I'm talking to people is you ask them questions about things. Cause when there are questions, you get this cognitive, you know, if you, if you ask a question to a mind, it's, it gets this cognitive dissidence and, and that's the, that's the uh, crack. That's the crack in the, in the facade that they've got going on, I think. But, uh, so yeah, have you, I agree. yeah, I mean, like you use all these different media techniques. I mean, you've got, um, you've got music. I don't have music to work with. I mean, do you see, ways of of working with people like all of us need to bring every skill we have to the table whatever that is people say i don't know what i could do you know i don't know what i can do well you know what i mean you could cook a meal and bring it over to somebody who needs someone to talk to and that can be a a motion towards this you know uh, including people i agree completely yeah, absolutely. I think this is this is something else um, which is very important. Um, lots of people are looking to government to help. You know, so can can you please, you know, send in petitions to government? Can you please lift the lockdown? Can you please let me have my life back? Can you please, can you please? It's like, well, why are you asking for permission? You know, let's just start this at a base level. So, like you said, like you know, go around to someone's house with a meal. That'd be great. That's a lovely thing to do. Um, someone that you know is 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 struggling with their mental health and isolation. Go around the house, watch some TV with them, watch a film, you know, go and, you know, have a barbecue, whatever. Just do something. Um, you don't need to ask anyone's permission for that. Um, and I, I think that's that's really key, that people need to know that everything is within their own hands. You know, everything's within their own grasp. Like here in the UK, obviously, there's this mask mandate. It's, I guess it's the same there. But they're openly saying here, you know, th- these masks are going to be in place for another 12 months at least. And everyone's complaining, oh, God, I wish they'd stop this mask mandate. And it's like, well, that's really easy. Just take it off. And everyone takes it off. Just everyone Mm -hmm. take it off. And it's done. It's over. It's over. You know, that's the end of it. And but they won't because, you know, and this is the thing. It's not fear of government. And that's what gets me. It's fear of confrontation with, you know, John across the road. What will Mm -hmm. John say? Who cares about John? You don't even like John. John's annoying. You know, like <laughs> just that, that's my attitude towards it, you know, and I think it's interesting you mentioned uh, music because that that is what's so frustrating at the moment for me is I was doing before all this nonsense. I was doing arts council projects and I was absolutely loving it. So at the moment, concerts are a no go. There aren't any because the venues aren't open and a few friends of mine are doing um, concerts online and, you know, live streams and stuff. And I'll be honest with you, I, I hated it. I tried it a couple of times during lockdown and I hated it. I can't see the whites of people's eyes. I can just see my computer screen in my bedroom. And I just think I don't want to look at myself. Thanks. I'm all right. I'll, if, I, if I'm doing that, I'll just play guitar without the computer screen on, you know. And um, and so I was doing these Arts Council projects. And what we were doing is where, where I live in Derbyshire, it's old um, industrial revolution so mining communities coal mining mainly and obviously they're all finished now they've i mean they've been finished for a while but the 80s margaret thatcher absolutely you know put pay to it and ended it and so but these these areas these villages and these valleys are still it's still very much ingrained in them and they're they're not wealthy areas at all um my house is an old mining house and um the 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 behind behind my house is the old um kilburn uh 
miners' welfare social club. Now, Kilmer, uh, Kilburn Mine closed in 1981, but it, but the social club's still full of old miners. Like they're still going to the social club. You know, that's how much ingrained it is in people, even though you know it's been nearly 40 years since the since the mine closed. Um, and so what we were doing is we were going to these areas, me and five or six other artists of, of very different kinds of artists. You know, so there was a couple of rappers and some spoken word, some poets, acoustic artists, me, a guy that played kind of punk music as well. And we were going to these areas where they don't have the arts because, you know, if you're worrying about how to pay the bills, you're, you're not paying for your kids to have cello lessons. That's just not happening. So um, a lot of these kids and these teenagers hadn't ever experienced art. You know, it was almost like what being a musician, uh, that's something that rich people do. And um, and so we took art to them and, and we played in schools and we played in social clubs and we turned up at little venues that had been, you know, organized by the local arts councils and stuff like that. And it was absolutely fantastic. And we were doing these pop up concerts where there'd be three or four of us in a in a bar and no one would know who we were and we just sat on separate tables and all of a sudden obviously the, the venue was in on it you would just walk behind the bar grab a guitar and start playing a song in the middle of a, of a packed social club and obviously everyone's looking at each other like what on earth is this clown doing and then you'd sit down and there'd be like a tentative clap of like well, that was weird and then the spoken word guy would stand up and he'd deliver a piece of spoken word um, and you know, you could see the look on people's faces of like, Oh my God, what on earth is happening? This is like crazy. And then you'd leave, but you'd leave them with something. And, and so, you know, a few times we, we did these concerts where the next time you play in that town or that village, you'd recognize faces. So, Oh, hang on. These people were there before. And, um, and so these people were getting into art and getting into music and, you know, picking up a guitar and finding a way to express themselves, which they didn't have before. And I think that's, it's almost like it's intentional to me, at least the biggest casualty um, has been the hospitality industry, certainly in the UK. So restaurants, bars, social clubs, music venues, theatres, they're finished as a result of all of this. And so you can go to a packed supermarket, but you can't go to, to a venue, you know, oh. it doesn't make any sense if it's about a virus. So, it's totally killed the arts and, and they even ran a, a, I mean, to be fair, they got some serious backlash, which was great, but they ran, the government ran a campaign um, here in the UK um, where they were showing different artists. So the, the famous one that, that got everyone's backup was a dancer. So it was a picture of a ballerina and she's just tying up her, her ballet shoes. She's probably 19, 20, maybe years old. And it said, you know, Fatima was, was a ballet dancer, but, um, you know, she she's now, you know, has she ever thought about pursuing a career in cyber coding, you know, computer coding? And um, and it, it was almost saying, you know, the, the, this industry, these industries are dead, you know, um, and, and it got a lot of backlash because people were saying Fatima, which was the, the name of the girl, Fatima doesn't need a job. She's already got a job. She's a dancer. You know, it, it, you don't you know, she doesn't need a job. She's got one. And then. um. And then the um, the Chancellor of the, the Exchequer here in the UK, so basically the guy that holds holds the purse strings for for for, the, for Britain, came out and said that arts as we know it are probably done, and maybe artists should think about another career, which is an extraordinary thing to say. Um, and so I feel like they're attacking that on purpose. You know those things where people socialise and people talk and people express themselves, and you know all those little 
pent up emotions that we have about things that have happened in our childhood or things that happened in a relationship or, or whatever, you know, we can let that out through singing or through performing or writing a piece of poetry or whatever, you know. Um, and those things have been systematically destroyed here in the UK. I, I don't know if it's the same way you are, but here it feels like it's it's a concerted effort to destroy that particular I, I, part. I believe it's totally a concerted effort because we've had a gutting of culture here. Uh, not that we had much to gut to start with, but what was it left? Um, I mean, because it, it's been a systematic gutting of it for a long time, I believe, in the U.S. Uh, and now we have, you know, everything has been gutted, including, I just said the other day, all I really want to do is just sit down at a restaurant and, you know, be able to talk. And we can't do that. And, um, you know, people, I have ways legally to help people. I mean, I, I don't, I don't personally, I have resources to help people be able to overcome this. They're afraid if they open their restaurants, they'll be fine to kingdom come. Uh, but the truth is, is that we desperately need these kind of ways to interact with each other and, um, and, and keep culture alive, which I think is why Christmas coming is so important to carry on with whatever traditions that you have. Because this virus, apparently, you know, it only spreads in churches and restaurants and musical venues and things like that. But it doesn't spread at liquor stores and whatever, you know, whatever's on. It, it doesn't spread after uh, in the morning and the afternoon, but it does at night when we have curfews. So curfews for what? Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's exactly. an incredibly smart virus that I just, I can't fathom its intelligence. So, um, yeah, so we have all of that going on here too. And I tell people, you know, there, you can, you can resist this. You can uh, make a stand. You can make a difference with the smallest thing. Even if it's like yesterday, I, I took some recycling bottles and I do this, I, I get it for cat food. You know, I, um, I used to donate all the cat food to, um, you know, re rescue organizations. This was, this was the cat food money. Right. So th this, I got there and they wouldn't give me my money unless I put a mask on. I said, okay. I said, I understand, you know, that you don't want to be put out of business because you fear if they come by and I don't have a mask. I said, okay, I'll, I'll tell you what you hand me that little surgical mask. I'll hang it off my ear here. This is a tip from Timothy, by the way, <laughs> I hung it off my ear. The guy gave me the money. I walked out. I never put the mask on my face. I said, I'm not giving up my right to breathe in order to comply to this. I will not. And you know, there's, there's no. even the simplest way, even that kind of thing where I couldn't get out of there without doing it, but I came up with a different way of doing it that was like, you know, I'll take the heat. If the, if they come down and they, they try to arrest me, that's my problem, not yours. I've got, you, you made me wear a mask. It's on my ear here. It's hanging off my ear. So anyway, with that, I know Timothy has some things to say and, um, the, the mask hanging off the ear guy. <laughs> so what do you do there? I don't think I originated that, but uh, I think hanging it off the drinking bottle was uh, an interesting one in Istanbul. That seemed to keep me uh, people off my back for a few a few weeks. But um, yeah, you can't drink with a mask on, right? So hang it on the bottle. It looks like you have it in close proximity. But um, Gareth, uh, you ladies have already asked a lot of very interesting questions, but I, I was fascinated to hear in, a, a, I think it was a fairly recent podcast, um, or interview with, with yourself, uh, where you said you were visiting these, uh, well, you described the sort of underprivileged areas of the UK. 
and you were actually challenged to wasn't there some sort of challenge going on where you would actually meet people or go, go just go and find people talk with them and then actually write uh lyrics and compose music and perform it at the end of the same day or something along those lines that sounds like an incredible yeah feat it was it was i loved it it was called the traveling band and a friend of uh-huh. mine alex came up he came up with the idea of of having lots of different artists of different kinds of you know different genres and we'd all get together we'd meet up at say midday at a different town or a different village within derbyshire and then we'd have a cup of tea and then we'd go right we're off and we'd walk around the village and and go and do whatever you wanted meet the locals go and have a pint in the local pub chat to the guy behind the bar or whatever and um and then at 7 p.m you had to perform the song to the to the village to the people of the village and it, it's actually quite nerve wracking really because you're writing a song about them. And um, as I mentioned earlier about how the industry and everything is so ingrained in these people that you, you could, you could quite easily step on toes, you know, and upset people if you went the wrong way. So I, um, that was an extra challenge. So I absolutely loved it, you know, and I, I'm, I'm obsessed with, um, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm a, I'm a steam trained geek. I love them. So, anything historical like that was great. So I was off kind of some of the other guys were going to the pubs and chatting to people. And I was off like clambering around trying to find old like mine shafts and, and railway structures and things like that. I loved it. And then uh, about sort of five o'clock I'd go back to my car and I'd sit in my car and just write the song, which was funny in, in, in the winter because you'd be there obviously. So all the the windows are steamed up and there's all kinds of noises coming out of the car. And I could see people (laughs) obviously walking past going, what is going on there? Um, (laughs) Yeah. But I absolutely loved Excellent. it. But there was, I think, it, I think it was eight of us at the start, and there was three of us. At, there was only three of us that completed the well, project. Well, it is pretty challenging. It is pretty challenging. I mean, it really is putting your your talent on the line and and have to actually perform, you know, something you've written and composed in that afternoon. And and as you say, it's not not the easiest of subjects. And no, it was it was difficult. There was one a place you know, for my. Ex- Sorry, carry on. I cut you Sorry. off then. No, no, not a problem. No, no, go ahead. I was just saying that I, I studied in uh, in Coventry and while well, I was there for four years, I, I spent a little bit of the time uh, driving around to sort of get to know the area some more. And, you know, around there, there are all sorts of origins of industry and I went to sort of first Ironbridge and so on and, and you know, visited, uh, there was a sort of a colliery in north of Coventry and so on. Um, you know, I'm not saying that I'm I'm an expert in, in these areas of the UK. I'm from the south of England. Um, but at the same time, it was a absolute contrast to walking into a pub in, in the Midlands, for example, than to walk into, into a pub in a village in the south, you know, south of Wiltshire or Hampshire or somewhere like that. And it's just incredible the amount of, you know, atmosphere, atmospheric differences, political differences, yeah, and so on and so on. All completely so, different. You know, the, yeah. Ironbridge is lovely, though. Yeah. I love Ironbridge. Lovely. A beautiful bit of architecture as well. I always remember the. Uh, it's totally irrelevant now, but I always remember the when I was studying. Uh, one of the first projects I needed to do was to create a, a a bridge design, a unique bridge design. So that's the first thing I did. I drove there and had a look, and uh, I created this sort of inverted catenary arch thing, and uh, you know, designed this thing. But um, that experience allowed me to go to First Iron Bridge, and that was something very special. That, that stays in my mind. But, um, so moving sideways slightly and also bearing in mind that the Californian ladies have already had a chance to sort of talk with you about your 
uh, sort of more introductory sort of levels. I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, without going into all the, the details about your father, but he was a, a well-known sports person, a goalkeeper, I believe, and then TV presenter, then a politician, and, and so, you know, a, a well-known figure. And then suddenly uh, he appeared on this awful uh, Terry Wogan show, and I, I don't want to go into all the ins and outs of this now, but just to explain to American viewers that Terry Wogan was sort of one of the big TV presenters of his day and uh, interviewed, you know, sort of, you know, A to Z of, of uh, politicians and writers, artists, uh, actors and so on over decades. So he, he was, you know, uh, probably the number one show rating uh, TV show for, for, for a number of years. And your father was on there and he basically laughed and ridiculed and made, made fun of him. Um, which a lot of people remember, unfortunately. They don't remember the second interview where your father went back and uh, Terry Wogan had less less to say. I think Terry Wogan basically shared with the world just how superficial he actually was. Um, the first interview, the second one, he, I think he attempted to put things right. But without going into those details, what I, I believe is that overnight your father went from somebody who was... Uh, sort of well-known publicly to somebody who was being ridiculed. Now, that must have had a very, uh, I'm, I'm guessing, an unsettling effect on, on you and your family. H how did that feel from your perspective? I mean, how old were you when that happened? Um, oh, God, I was about eight, I think. Eight, wow. nearly nine. Yeah. It was confusing, to be honest, because it went from having – you know, whenever you went out, you'd get, you know, obviously we didn't have like camera phones and stuff then, but, you know, can I get your autograph, you know? Um, and you sort of, you'd have to stand there while dad obviously like signed autographs and stuff. And then um, from that to literally just people just barking and shouting and laughing and pointing and all sorts um, in the street. It was quite odd as a kid because I didn't really understand. And then what no, was odd was I, I went to a goal, I went to a goalkeeping school in, um, just outside Potter's Bar, so like north north London, north of London. And um, it was Bob Wilson's goalkeeping school. So for people across the pond, Bob Wilson was a very famous goalkeeper, played for Arsenal. Um, and um, he ran this goalkeeping school and he had all these famous goalkeepers would come in and coach the kids and stuff like that. And there were all these media there and they were like at the, at the gates and it was just chaos. And I remember as a kid, like just saying to, to Bob, like, what is that all about? And, and Bob saying, oh, it's just because Pat Jennings is coming in, you know, he's a very famous goalkeeper. And obviously mm -hmm. it was nothing, it was nothing to do with that at all. It was, it was to try to get a photo of me because obviously all this stuff was kicking off with my dad. Um, mm -hmm. And they would, they'd park camera crews outside school and, and like my mum would have to come pick me up from school. Well, I couldn't walk home anymore because you get followed by the press, which is so odd to me now. Cause I think what were they expecting from an eight year old kid? Exactly. It's just weird. Yeah. You know, stuff to do with me. I really don't want to stop your flow, but we're coming up on a hard break at the top of the hour. But if I may, I'd like to just ask you a couple more uh, questions, also elaborate on this a little bit more, because I, I think this sets a really firm direction in the rest of your career. So you're listening to The Other Side of the News, and tonight's show is called Ike Clockwork.
Richard C. Hoagland here. I'd like you to support The Other Side of Midnight by subscribing to Club 19.5 and thereby joining our unique radio community. Tune in to listen to our fascinating guests, pioneers on the out-there edge of science and thought, and gain access to exclusive member benefits. To do this, just visit our website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the navigator bar or in the left-hand column. Membership costs $19.95 per month. That's 33 tetrahedral cents a day. I mean, it's the price of a couple of cups of coffee. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to this show and literally hundreds of previous shows on hundreds of different topics going back to 2015 that we have done. Our archive shows have the commercials removed and you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the 19 Point Archives if you prefer. To enhance your listener experience, a new The Other Side of Midnight podcast is being added to all show pages, which will allow you to instantly search the show archives of Radio with Pictures, thus easily accessing the corresponding show. Plus, you can just as quickly access the entire podcast list when you're on the go. I want to personally thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your continuing support, this show would literally not be on the air. Please continue supporting the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available, talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought, and if you like what you hear on the other side of midnight, tell your friends and continue growing the show by having them subscribe to Club 19.5 as well, because we need all of you. And when I say we need you, you're the reason we're doing all this. Hoagland, over and out. There are so few, there in the thousands, we are billions. We are billions of people. So they need technology, very advanced technology, to be able to control us. And that is where AI, 5G, comes in. And then through the vaccine, also get rid of two-thirds of us. So it's like a very, very, very dark agenda they want to play out. But I tell you, the way I see the future, oh my God, fantastic. Or like my mom said, fan-bloody-tastic. Hi, this is Ola Damagod from LightOnConspiracies.com. You know, over the years I've done some 500 to 1,000 international interviews, and I just want to say the other side of the news is one of my favorite shows. So enjoy. And welcome back to the other side of the news. Uh, you're listening to the show called Ike Clockwork. Our guest tonight is Gareth Ike. Uh, co-hosting are Annette Driscoll, Timothy Saunders, and myself, Kinthea. Timothy, you want to continue? Thanks, Kinthea. At Gareth, I'm. I was just bringing up uh, some some historic milestones along this this 
really incredible adventure that you, you've lived. Uh, you said earlier that uh, your upbringing was normal. But on the other hand, I think that surely in, in your household, you must have, you know, evolved in, uh, from, you know, an eight-year-old boy, nine-year-old boy into a, a young man and, and onwards uh, seeing through the veil, the veil that still many people don't even acknowledge exists today. So how do you think your your normal, I'm using normal in inverted commas, your normal upbringing uh, helps guide you to sort of find your career path. I mean, when I say career, your career has been very varied and, and very positive, I believe. Would you like to offer some feedback on that? I, uh, yeah, I think, to be honest, um, I saw probably the darker side of stuff um, a little bit before other people. So, you know, when people, it's probably a good thing, live quite sheltered lives, at least to a point. And then they, you know, kind of get hit by reality, maybe when they're sort of 21, 22, you know, when they get their heart broken for the first time properly, or, you know, they, they, they're struggling to pay the rent for the first time or whatever. Um, I kind of just went through those things a little bit earlier. So I, um, obviously all that sort of stuff happened when I was eight or nine. So kind of saw the dark side of people, um, particularly parents. That's what I never understood because, um, you'd get kids giving you stick, but they were only, they were only repeating things that, that were being reported in the newspapers. Now, I don't know about you, but most eight year old kids I know aren't reading the newspapers. So, um, so it was coming from the parents and I kind of, I find that now as a father, like how extraordinary that is. Like, the idea that someone in my, I mean, my, my daughter's only two, but when she's older, you know, the idea that someone in my daughter's class at school would be going through something and I would say, oh, yeah, you know that kid in your school? Yeah, his dad's a blow. You know, you wouldn't dream of it. You know, if anything, I would be telling Alora, you know, that kid's getting a lot of, you know, I think it might be quite nice if you were to, you know, maybe make friends with them and whatever, you know. Um, so exactly. I kind of found, yeah, I found, <laughs> I found that, I, I yeah. found that very odd. Um, very very odd but then on the but to completely counteract that at the same end um there were you know a lot of these um red top newspapers that were, were coming um up to to parents of friends of mine and offering them money and there was one particular family that i, I didn't find this out until till you know a couple of years afterward that the parents had been offered quite a considerable sum of money to 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 say some pretty nasty things and badmouth our family and stuff and and they refused um and you know they didn't have the money to refuse it so it was seriously so they they were trying to get the inside story for in yeah or that yeah, was the intent yeah, I mean, from the, the newspaper yeah yes yes i mean it was crazy like we went on a family holiday to to crete um and so not a million miles away from where you are now, I suppose. And um, indeed, in the Mediterranean. Super. And um, we were followed there. We were followed there by by newspapers. Um, and they offered, we, we we found this little taverna, which was in the middle of nowhere. I got, I got salmonella food poisoning there. So it wasn't very nice. <laughs> but the places, the, the places that you went that were nice, obviously full of tourists, you know, you had no chance. And so we went, we went to this little taverna. We went there, you know, every day. And, um, they they approached 
the owner of the Taverna and offered him a considerable amount of money to to give them a scoop of when we were coming back and when we were booked in for a meal and stuff. And he refused and said, if I see you, you know, he, he told us at the table, you know, I said to them, you know, if I see you anywhere near my, my restaurant, you know, I shall, I shall have you removed and stuff. So, so you saw as much as you saw the nasty side of people, you saw the lovely side of people as well. Actually, you know, there are some really nice people out there with that are selfless. Cause again, you know, his Taverna could have done with a lick of paint and, and, if, and yeah, well, a health and safety certificate, uh, judging by how ill it made me. But there you go. But um, it, it showed that That's side. True. So I think I, yeah, yeah, I, I think I that... saw that a little bit earlier than most. Mm-hmm. But that's pretty, pretty positive yeah, way to see life. I mean, I, I would say that, you know, for having lived in, in this part of the world for, for quite a number of years and also having visited for probably another eight or nine years longer than that, that I have seen that the you know the family unit is still an important point you know the family is 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 something which ha- has a has power and um if, if if people do tend to protect come together and protect each other and and you know protect sounds like a a, a word that you know almost uh, reveals something negative but you know if somebody is being trying to be coerced or paid to to try and find the inside story when you guys are just trying to relax and go and have a holiday um yeah you, you do need a bubble um a, a bubble to be in and it's wonderful to find that you know people are prepared to do that naturally it's it's incredible yeah, how yeah. those same sentiments and and you know energy is is somehow thwarted uh, today which which uh is going to segue a, a little bit more um some one of the points that you guys were talking about uh just a few minutes ago and and that is the way that you know life has become you know, there's no there's no grey anymore. Everything is black or white. It's yes or no, and it's a thumb up or a thumb down. It's a love or a hate reaction. And I think this is all part of the way that people have been conditioned and programmed to avoid conflict. You know, these the social media, um, a, a kind of uh, you know, the idea that this this uh, Zuckerberg is is actually you know this this poor little college student that sort of had this great idea, then it took off. It, it's just absolutely you know, it's ridiculous. It's clearly, uh, in my, my opinion, social engineering. And it's just part of the plan. I mean, you mentioned earlier Margaret Thatcher closing coal mines and so on earlier back in the 80s. I mean, that again, I really do wonder if that was, you know, in, in hindsight, if it really was a economic or a political move, or perhaps it was something to, to do, you know, it, it's something, a, a forfeit as part of joining what has now become the EU. So I, I do think this this plan, this this clockwork mechanism has been going on for for decades what do you think i i i agree i think as well when it comes to thatcher people saw her you know she's known as the iron lady you know this lady that was so strong and but at the same time when you you read um, biographies about that time it it was pretty common knowledge that actually as long as you made her believe it was her idea you could get her to do anything <laughs> you could get her to agree to anything you just had to make sure she thought she came up with the idea. Um, so I'm sure there was a lot of that going on then. Um, destroying the industry in Britain would have certainly suited the European Union. Um, and when you when you look at the situation now, so yeah, absolutely. Um, another thing, it's interesting actually because I was actually was was going to mention this, and then you mentioned social media, and it's so true because what I was going to say was, in terms of growing up quickly, I, I kind of I went through my crazy mistake phase pretty early, so. You know, I moved out of home when I was 15. I had 
you know, my long blonde greasy hair and I, I thought I was Kurt Cobain and I, you know, drank bottles of cider and I dropped out of jobs and dropped out of school and did all this sort of stuff. And I did it early um, and then kind of, you know, found myself um, as a result of that. And it, it's funny because I think, you know, I went through my crazy phase where I made mistakes before the internet and before social media and before any of this. Um, whereas now you can't do that. There's no such thing. So look, you're saying about black and white and what it does is it stops people expressing themselves. People are too frightened. It's like, you know, I want to say something, but if what if I use the wrong term? You know, what if, what if I, you know, I, I remember a story a couple of years ago where Benedict Cumberbatch, who at the time was, you know, a darling mm-hmm. um, in the media's eyes, um, was complaining about the disparity between the treatment of, of um, black actors and of white actors. And, and he was sticking up and saying, you know, they're not getting paid as well. They're not getting the jobs that they should be getting. Um, and they're being, um, you know, there is no equality. And But what he said was, you know, that there isn't equality for, 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 for colored actors. Well, you've said colored there, Benedict. You can't do that. And so they went for him and, and, and he was vilified and he had to come out and do a big apology. Now, what it was, it was it was a slip of the tongue. He's obviously not racist. He's he's actively trying to say that there is discrimination and he's trying to stick up for for for, for the, that community. Any of us, it's a community, we're all individuals, but um, but he was vilified and attacked. No, and they, they, like, they could not see the forest. Really for need the, to be uh... careful the leaf in front of their eyes no, i mean no. the whole and, point was so, the big point they missed and just pulled them up on one one word it's ridiculous exactly yeah. and that's what happens now and so you know when people make their mistakes now they make their mistakes on the internet they make their mistakes on social media where they're screenshotted f- forever um and so i think that's all part of the conditioning that people are frightened you know because because you know if you're in a position where i don't know what to say i don't know what to say in the end, you'll go. Well, I won't say anything then. Mm-hmm. It's one of the safer, things, that, isn't it? I don't want to offend anyone. Yeah, one of the things that Ted Kuntz was just saying in uh, in the break. Uh, one of the pre, he was an, a guest earlier in the year, and you know, it, it's just it's just this point where people are afraid to do something wrong. You know, the the idea, the whole idea that the mask is a symbol of subservience, in my opinion, because if you don't wear it. let's just go back one step they say you should wear a mask so you're protecting other people around you so therefore it's not about your own choice it's about actually it's a guilt trip they're trying to lay a guilt trip on every individual you have to wear a mask otherwise you're harming other people around you is what they're saying by wearing a mask and that to me is absolutely uh, inverting the real meaning if a mask even did something protect anybody which I don't believe does but the whole point is the inversion uh, what is turning normal people into joining the, the the police group to actually call in other people if they're, they're going out twice a day in a lockdown or if they're walking their dog too much in a lockdown or if they're you know not wearing a mask I mean some of these stories absolutely just you know beyond belief how people can actually spend their time calling in to, to, to hotlines to report their neighbours and friends and so on. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the fallout of this is going to be extraordinary with, with that because people don't realise, you know, when you, you, you're you phoning up the police and grassing on your neighbours and when all this ends, they're still going to be your neighbours and you're still going to have to live next door to them. And 
good luck with that. Indeed, indeed. Anetha, would you like to carry on? I need to go and fix my Wi-Fi. It seems the signal seems to have dropped a little. Anetha? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so I wanted to actually go a little bit deeper into that that thing with the mask. I, it's, it's virtue signaling. It's, it's like a, I'm virtuous because I'm wearing a mask. And in my world, I say I'm I don't say I'm virtuous, but I feel like it's much more important to not wear a mask. So this is this kind of thing, again, this black and white. I've said for years when I speak uh, out about anything, and, I, and I'm pretty outspoken, so I'll, I don't actually use the platform of Facebook at this point much at all because I don't, I don't want to support that organization. I don't post things to YouTube because I don't want to support the organization, but... I know before all of that happened, you know, there was this, this is this PC component, what we call over here, political, what a correctness, right? And that the, I used to always start out everything, well, well fuck PC. I'm going to say what I want to say. And the thing about that is what people don't know, and I can tell you from experience, is there's a point where when you go around with that attitude, and I, I'm just, I'm thinking you've probably done the same thing and you can comment on this, is when you go around and you say, yeah, you know, I'm not going to be politically correct. Forget it. And But, you know, the people know that's who you really are. They're not getting some waffly version, some watered-down version. And I always say I'm doing something terribly wrong. If people, they either really are going to like me or they're really going to not like me. That's fine. Uh, there's something wrong when someone's lukewarm about anybody because, well, they're not being anything. You know, um, how do you – I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know where you're going to come out on this one. <laughs> about speaking no, I, I, yeah i'm i'm with you i have a um i have a framed image in my kitchen that says i'd rather be someone's shot of whiskey than everyone's cup of tea and um mm. that's i think the way to be because i think you're right if 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 everyone is yeah he's all right you you know that's no one's all right if they're honest with themselves that you know there's always going to be bits of them that you will like and bits that you don't like and that's the beauty of us as individuals that we're all different um, I've always felt with political correctness, you know, who decides what's politically correct or not? Because because wherever you go, the deeper into who decided what was politically correct, it will generally be the state um, who decided. And so political correctness is just kind of a very sort of clever way to make me and you police ourselves so they don't have to. That's right. Um, mm -hmm. that, that's basically how I see it. And, you know, and, and that's not to um, to intentionally you know, offend and upset people, you know, walk up to someone in the street and talk about their weight or, 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 you know, if someone's got a big spot on their nose, go, you know, look at that. I don't mean that, but, and I always find that as well with political correctness. And it's the same with any conversation on freedom of speech. I have a massive distrust of anyone that always offers the worst case scenario. So uh, a complete false equivalence. So if you have conversations, I don't know if it's the same there, but here it's the same. If you have a conversation where you talk about freedom of speech. Now, I believe in freedom of speech for everyone, because if one person out of seven billion doesn't have their right to speak, then there's no such thing as freedom of speech. It's for everyone. Um, and that gives people the right to call me a, an arsehole <laughs> if they want. That's fine. Um, and and so whenever you have that conversation, generally someone will come back and it's always the same. Oh, so it's okay to say kill all Muslims then, is it? That's the, I don't know if it's the same there, but it always seems to be the example given in, in England. 
And it's always the same example, which is a very odd thing to come up with anyway. But And so, you know, you'll say, okay, well, um, that's incite to violence. There's already a law against that. Next. And then they'll say, uh, what, what, so you can just accuse someone of, of say, being a paedophile without any evidence. It's like, well, no, they're slander and libel laws. You can't do that. And when you actually get down to it, there's nothing (laughs) wrong with freedom of speech whatsoever, other than you might not like to hear what I have to say. Um, And that's fine. You you know, you're allowed to not like what I have to say, but I'm also allowed to say it. Right. Yeah. So the thing is, is I don't, I, I don't see that uh, that's wrong, and but a lot of people do. I mean, they're, they're <laughs> you're right. They don't like what you have to say, so therefore you're wrong. It's like, well, I could say the same. I've actually had that conversation. I said, I could the say, say the same. I don't particularly agree with what you're saying, but I'm listening, and I might learn something from it. So I, I, I tend to like try to back people down off of that place and say, well, tell me, you know, explain that to me. I'd, I'd really like to understand your point of view. And then when you come at it from that place, what I found is people generally, they, they can't, they oftentimes can't defend that, that view because it's just, it's this program view from media, from whatever, who, you know, the media is being controlled um, by, well, we won't get into all that, but you know, the, the, the whole thing, it's just this very programmed thing that we get into. Um, and, and again, I go back to the idea of gutting, uh, gutting culture, gutting families. And so we, we lose that connectivity to all of our other fellow humans. And then we come just become these warring little individuals with these black and white views. Um, yeah, which is a lot easier to control. Right. Yeah. Divide and conquer. When, you know, I mean, how classic is that? Right. If you can't see it, people, that's what they're doing. Uh, we aren't, we, the people, the, the masses, the people are not the ones that we should be fighting with. And as far as the government goes, I mean, I say this all the time, the, you know, the government is our servants. They are, you know, they are the, the servants to us. We are the taxpayers. Yes. And we, we hire them to do their job. So they aren't in a position to tell me what to do. And if people could just understand that basic concept, I think things would change a lot. I don't have any qualms about going out. And, you know, I keep saying, I've said this from the beginning on the show, arrest me, go for it, because I'll make you sorry the day you do that. I mean, the the thing is, but I, I understand legally where I am and what I can do. But, you know, we need to test these boundaries with people. And quit saying, oh, they're the authority because they're the government. Really? I'm the authority over the government. So how does that work? Um, do you, are you, how do you feel with that, that idea? No, I'm, I, I'm agree. Like my, this is the other thing as well, you know, particularly with the left, which seems very odd because I've been called a leftist Southern softy most of my life. And now I get called far right at times and, and my actual views on life haven't changed one single bit, but, but there you go. But the kind of, <laughs> you know, like the, the Overton windows just shifted so far. It's just blows everything up. But, um, I kind of, as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm with the, what the left used to say, um, which was my body, my choice. Um, and that comes to masks, you know, it's my face, my choice, mate. Um, you you do you you do you and i'll do me and 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 that's fine you know and i don't have to agree with you and you don't have to agree with me but you live your life and your truth and i'll live mine and 
you know, we'll we'll get to the other side. We're all on the long road to the middle anyway. You know, <laughs> we're all going to yeah. die. So let's just carry on in, in the best we can. And it's funny. I did a, a, had a, a podcast with a guy called Billy Ray Valentine in New York last week. He's a lovely guy, and we disagreed for a lot of the conversation. Um, and then ended the conversation with, "When I can get to New York next, we're going to out and have a few beers and watch the Rangers." And it was like that's how things used to be. But it, I almost felt like it was weird, but in a nice way. It was like I've just basically had a conversation where we've sort of disagreed for 45 minutes and now we're going for a beer. That's amazing um, because that's what we should do as humans. You know, like, yeah, I, I think you're right. You have a lager. Yeah, I'll have the same. You know, and that's that's for me is how I live my life. Um, it's just it's it's harder to find people with that mindset, you know, and, and, and I have to say, actually, I see that on both sides, particularly with this coronavirus argument. So I've seen, you know, if you're refusing to get the vaccine, if you're an anti-vaxxer, unfriend me now, right? And you read that and you just think, well, what an idiot. Um, but at the same time, I, I know people that, are, you know, if you're going to go and get the vaccine, unfriend me now. And it's like, well, you're both wrong. Mm, yeah. You, you know, my my attitude towards the vaccine is is I'm not having it and I don't want it. And here's all the reasons why I'm not having it and why I don't want it. But if you can look at all those reasons and, and you still want to go and have it, go fill your boots, mate. It's your life, like, to tell you not to do it. Um, you know, if, if I coerce you into not getting something, I'm no different from the government that are coercing you into getting it. So do what you like. You right. Know? I, yeah, and the thing is, so like, because people say, well, they don't know, they're uninformed. Well, you know, we live in the information age. <laughs> and uh, if you're uninformed, it's by choice. Uh, it becomes this thing when things are presented, especially if you're talking to somebody who's presenting the information directly to you. You can't, you can't claim that it's uh, ignorance. It's become stupidity at a certain point. And when it, when it gets to that place, like stupidity is, I'm not listening, I don't want to hear, I'm just not going to hear it, even though the information is presented to you. So then you go, well, okay. Um, th at that point, I say, you know, it's your choice. It's absolutely, it's always been your choice, but you should be informed in making that choice. And now that you're informed, that's okay. And I say it all the time to people. And then when they when I do that, oh my gosh, then they like they don't know what to do, and they actually want to continue the conversation. Why do you say that? What do you mean? Because they're so used to just being shut down and blocked off. It's like, well, you know, I mean, it's it's absolutely your choice. It's it's you know, you can apply the Nuremberg Code to yourself. We we are not subject to medical intervention anywhere on this planet especially the countries that all signed into the Nuremberg Code. Okay, we're not, we're not subject to medical intervention. So that's a choice that you make. Now, they might make it very difficult for us. If we don't get the vaccine, then we're gonna, they're going to you know, penalize us in other ways, or they're going to try to. Um, but you know, it is ultimately your choice. And I think this idea that you know, I hear this all the time, oh, people don't know any better. I hear this excuse made. It's like, well, they're choosing not to know better. Uh, I mean, it, yeah. yes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And um, I must admit, I've had quite a few of those conversations over the last nine months. Yeah, you know, where you've, you've, I, I don't put some something on social media like I might make the odd joke here and there, but if I'm saying something, it's backed up. Otherwise, I won't say it because you leave yourself wide open then to be discredited for everything else you've said. So. Um, you know, a lot of the time, you know, people will ask for the source and I'll go, it's here and I'll send it to them. And nine times out of 10, they'll be like, cheers for that, mate. Wow. That's crazy. 
But every yeah. now and then you do get, you know, situations where you provide the sources and, and you'll get a reply like nonsense. And you're like, mm. but I've told you, you've asked for a source. I've given you the source. It's a government source. And you're still saying nonsense. I, I don't know what else I can do, mate. Like, I give up and that's fine. Like whatever. Like I had a situation with a guy who was saying, can you explain to me why 40,000 people died in nursing homes in the last six months? Like if coronavirus isn't this big, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, to be honest with you, mate, 10,000 people die in nursing homes in England every month anyway. So actually saying for 40,000 over six, seven months, like that's not crazy numbers. And he came back to me saying, that's absolute rubbish. Where on earth have you got that from? I was like, well, the Office of National Statistics. It's government data. Here's the link. And again, yes. well, I, I, I'm just not buying it. That was the reply. Like, I'm just not buying it. It's like, it's there in black and white, mate. Like, every month, 10,000 people in nursing homes die in England. It's very sad, but unfortunately, you're going to die, and I'm going to die, and everyone I know is going to die. That's sort of what happens. <laughs> in it. And actually, it would be pretty sad if we didn't. I'm not sure I'd want to live in Derby for the rest of my life, or and then for, for eternity. Um <laughs> you know, I'll go and explore somewhere else for a bit. That's fine. But, um, but it, it's funny, like you, you present those facts to people and it's like, there it is. And it's like, no, I'm not, I don't, I, I'm not having it. I said, well, I, I can't do anything else then. Like, mm. I mean, I, I could stand and argue with you for another hour, but I already know now it's a waste of time. So I'm going to save my throat and my time and I'm just going to go and talk to someone else. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we're, we're at that, that little time where we're right at the bottom of the hour and we're talking to our guest this evening, uh, Gareth Ike, and we will return after our break. side of the news, my name is Christopher James and I just wanted to give my full support to these wonderful people who are bringing incredible light forward at this time and moment in our world. The truth has never been more important and I was incredibly blessed to be with them and share with them enormous truths on our very first interview and I'm looking forward to coming back and seeing our world finally coming together under one hood, under one understanding that there's truly only one of us and that there's only love that matters in this world and this one truth is going to save our world and I'm so blessed to be able to bring this forward and share this light with my fellow man and woman from this show this evening. So support them all you can moving forward. They're an incredible bunch of people and Godspeed. side of midnight.com talk radio with pictures on demand liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought join club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule Filter episodes by guest or subject. 
Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. side of the news. Our show tonight is Ike Clockwork, and our guest is Gareth Ike. Co-hosting are Timothy Saunders, Annette Driscoll, and myself, Kinthea. So, Gareth, I wanted to bring, come back to this question of the, uh, the arts and the assault on the arts. You were mentioning how you know, they're shutting down the arts, this ballet dancer, the restaurants, the theaters. And then I think of all the young people who want to go into the arts who are now thinking, well, maybe I should rethink this. And I really feel that the assault on the arts is the assault on our humanity. I mean, when you look throughout history, what is it that you look to? You look to the arts. You look to the great compositions and music, the great architecture, the great sculptures, and so I'm thinking about how you were going with these other musicians and doing these spontaneous um, shows <laughs> and what the artists can do, like be politically active. I, what do you see as the future for the opening of the arts? I just can't believe that we're going to shut down because that would be to shut down the voice of humanity. Yeah, um, I, it's it, maybe that's the whole point, though. You know, maybe that's the whole. But it, it feels to me, at least, like it, it, it's it's an attack on 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 the right brain because that's all the arts are. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're generally right brain thinkers. They think a little bit outside the box. Um, you have to be a right brain thinker generally to create these things, um, and they don't want that. They want left brain automatons that will kind of you know, think enough to be able to, to complete a task, but within a, but within a frame, um, um, you know, within a framework, um, they don't really want people that are going to be gazing out of the window, imagining the, what lies beyond sort of thing. So it feels a bit like that. Um, it's like anything in terms of how, how it all reopens. It, it, it's been the same the whole time. It's when people say no, and, you know, we've had these conversations with people, you know, what is your point? You know, I, I thought, you know, when when people were told to put masks on their kids, that might be the point where people would say no more. Um, but that wasn't uh, that wasn't enough to, to wake some people up, which is very odd to me. But um, we have that conversation quite, quite a lot. And I've actually um, I was talking to my brother, actually, just just before I came up to chat to you guys. like, And he was saying he'd had a conversation with a police officer at one of the protests. And he said to the police officer, at what point do you say no more? I'm not doing this anymore. And my brother said that the policeman replied to him, I'll be honest with you, I'm pretty close to that point already. Um, so that's encouraging. Um, 
but that's when it's over that's when the that's when the restaurants open and the bars open and our social lives come back and the arts come back is when we decide they do um but we have to do it en masse and that that has been the absolute issue the whole time is 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 getting people to do it en masse so where i live my village there's three pubs well there was three pubs there's now two because one's gone after the first lockdown that that killed that pub that's that's closed down um and I don't know because we're in a, a, a tier three area where I live. So we're basically still in lockdown. Not that I'm locked down because I do what I want. But the, those two pubs are closed now. So I don't know if they'll both reopen. Maybe one might reopen, but the other one will, will probably be finished. So I look at that do and I say, right, there's three might... pubs. Do you think Sorry, you might do street concerts? It will get to that in the end. Yeah, it will get to that in the end. Definitely definitely in the end um i'm going to to go and do some recording actually next week um to record some new tracks that i've written throughout this so um once i'll get them out there then hopefully i'll try and sort of you know put together some concerts to to do a little wee tour street gigs with those songs that might be quite nice to do that actually um i'll credit you with the idea um <laughs> but i kind of i i I look at it and I go, right, so there, were, so there were three pubs in my village. Now, if, if, if those three pubs opened in the middle of a lockdown, okay, you know, they'll send 30 police officers into my village and they'll, they'll close down the pubs. But mm, at the top of the hill, there's another village that's got two pubs in it, so they open. And then at the bottom of the valley, you've got a place called Belper, which is quite a big town. There's probably 30 pubs there. So they all open. Okay, so now you've got 30 police officers and you've, you know, you've got, okay, so you've got 35 pubs. So good luck with that. And then and then you've got the other villages and the towns and the city of Derby, which is about six, seven miles away from me. God knows how many how many pubs there are in the city of Derby. Hundreds. Good luck policing that. And so all of a sudden it's game over. You, you know, it, it's not enforceable. You can't do it. And and to, to evidence that what they've done with with Christmas here is they've they've basically given everyone five days so you can do what you want for five days now. So I'm going to go down to the Isle of Wight. But I would have gone down anyway. But I'm going down to the Isle to spend Christmas with my with my family. Um, but what the only reason they've done that is because they know and have openly admitted that it's unenforceable. So if they kept everyone locked down over Christmas, they know that everyone's going to ignore it because you're going to go and see your family at Christmas. Of course you are. And they know that you've got 65 million people in the UK. You can't you can't please 65 million people going to each other's houses for Christmas. You can't do it. There's not enough police officers. So what they've done to try and keep some kind of, you know, appearance of power is give us those days. So it's like, I know you're going around each other's houses, but we let you do it um, because that's better than keeping us locked down, us all doing it anyway, and them openly showing their weakness, um, which, which they have. They can't enforce it. And, and um, the police chief, um, chief constables has said as much that it's unenforceable. And so that's what I think people need to realize is that all these music venues could open, all these theaters could open, all these restaurants could open, all these bars could open, as long as they all opened. Because then it's unenforceable, it's unpoliceable. Well, yes, and I could see, how are they going to go back to saying, well, now the virus suddenly is a threat and we're going to close you? I mean, it doesn't make any kind of sense. The other thing I wanted to say is that like here in uh, the Bay Area, California, uh, frequently we would have musicians with artists, painting artists, you know, side by side painting either a physical canvas or, you know, up on a big screen with a digital canvas. 
And so I'd like to see the artists come out, not just an artist, but other artists together. I mean, like one beautiful example that actually started before this lockdown stuff is Eric Whiteacre's virtual choir of 2,000 voices, which started out with just this young girl sending him a recording of her her singing his song, and he was so impressed that he got this idea of doing a virtual choir. So we need to keep the arts going every way that we can. Yeah, I agree. I, I did something similar, actually. A friend of mine, Rainer, in, um, it's just out, he lives just outside Munich um, in Bavaria. He'd written a song. It was a beautiful, beautiful song um, about peace and unity. And... Um, he messaged me and said, you know, we, we put some vocals on it. And I was like, I'll be honest with you, mate, it's all in German. <laughs> and if, I, if I try and sing in German, like no chance, like everyone will know. Everyone will be like, what on earth is that guy doing in the background? So what I did is I did lots of oohs and ahs and, and, you know, some harmonies and things like that. Um, but he got a guitarist from Berlin. I think there was, um, a guy that played piano in Chile. He, he, and and so they we we just sent him the the tracks and he put it all together and released it as a record and it sounded great, it sounded great. Um, so you're right, that's a really nice thing to do and it's 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 a good way to try and do something and keep something alive, um, you know, keep yourself sane as well, I suppose. Absolutely, I want to talk to you about a song afterwards. <laughs> Um, so you mentioned that you are a father and how do you see this for the children that are coming up in this world? Because I'm very concerned about the little ones who are now being exposed to seeing people around them wearing masks. They can't really see the facial expressions, which in those first formative years are so important for the development of the brain. And I look around and I see parents putting masks on little children. And w- w- as a parent, how do you feel about what's going on? And and what do you see coming up? That's, yeah, that's, it is a concern because obviously for, for people like me and you, you know, we remember the world madness. So this is madness to us. Um Whereas, you know, these younger generations, these people that are going to maybe be born into this or at least, you know, are, are having their, you know, their, their minds f- um, formed in this period, um, it, it's normal to them. And that's a worry. Um, and I think that's something that they want to do. I mean, like I've said for a while, I don't think mask mandates are going anywhere. I think they want them permanently. I think what they'll probably do is because flu's disappeared, obviously, because they've just rebranded it. But what they'll say is the reason flu's disappeared is because people are wearing masks and therefore we should keep wearing masks. I think that's what they'll try and pull anyway. Um, I think Biden said when he gets control the first hundred days, everyone will have to wear a mask. I'll bet a hundred pounds now it won't be a hundred days. It will be 200, 300, you know, keep counting. But, um, when it comes to my daughter, like my my daughter isn't surrounded by people with masks because no one I know wears them. So so we don't have it. And actually, I went shopping with her um, yesterday. No, not yesterday, day before yesterday. We went into a store, like a big supermarket, because I needed to pick up certain things that I couldn't get from the small local store. And um, the lady that served us, she was lovely, to be, to be honest. The lady was lovely, and she made a big fuss of, of my little one. But she had a mask on, and my little one's face was like, she she... 
I mean, she's going to be a character, obviously, but she she just pulled this face at this woman of like, you know, if, if you could translate the look, it was a look of what on earth have you got on your face? Um, <laughs> so, so I found that quite encouraging, you know, that my daughter is still looking at people in masks as weird. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a positive thing for me, you know, because I think, well, it is weird. Um, we, we were given faces and expressions for a reason not to cover them up with, with cloth. Um, but, um, but yeah, so that's why I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged with her. Um, but, but obviously that's not the same for a lot of people. And you do, I do see particularly in the city where I am now, where I come and work, I do see kids walking up and down the street with their parents wearing masks outdoors. And you just think, you know, what, what, what is the logic behind that? It's, there is none. You're outside in the fresh air. Um, there's no health benefits. There's only health, you know, there's only negative impacts on your health from walking around, breathing in your own carbon dioxide and all your own um, mold and, and, and bacteria and, and, and everything. So I, th- mm-hmm. I, I, I can foresee a, a real negative impact on health as a result of masks. And, and the problem that, it, that you see with that is you, I, I would think, well, that's a, not a good thing that people are unhealthy, but it would be a good thing that it would all come out that people are ill. And then all of a sudden people might go, hang on, we need to take masks off. But we all know that what they'll do is anyone with any respiratory injury and any any illness as a result of a mask will will be put down as covid and it will bump the figures and we'll carry on wearing more masks well that's why we all need to be more vocal (laughs) and uh i want to create some space here timothy annetta if you'd like to jump in i would like to again there's there's so many things i'd like to ask you gareth in, in such a short time uh, one of the points that I noticed, so I think it was on your Twitter feed. I don't know if it's something you actually put up there yourself or somebody else had, but it was a a story which I think probably should steal the headlines of the week. You know, whereas on television and the UK mainstream television, social media, everyone's talking about V Day, Vaccine Day, where Margaret Keenan and William Shakespeare, of all all people, have been the first victims for the vaccination. That seems to have been uh, stealing the headlines. But what I saw on your Twitter feed um, was a woman called, I think it's Brandy Vaughan, who is an ex-pharmaceutical yes. representative who made a U-turn, kind of became a, a whistleblower. And then she had multiple break-ins in her very secure home, apparently. And and she predicted her demise. And unfortunately, I think this week she she was reported as uh, as being killed. Is that right? Is, is there some yes. validity to yeah. that story? Yes, yeah, I've not, I've not found the exact announced cause of death. Um, they're only saying that she was found um, by her son, who's nine, I think, maybe ten. Um, she's only forty-nine years old. Um, but yeah, she she put a social media post saying that you know the intimidation had got to such a point now that she wanted to make it clear on the record that she has no thoughts of taking her own life and no illnesses and none of this and none of this and none of this to so make the point that you know if they do try and do something to her that you know we need to know that it's not her doing it and so what i tend to find at least in 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 uk media i don't know if it's the same in the us but in the uk where or or even in turkey but in, but in the uk if they announce that someone was found dead it's generally a suicide so if I read a story and it says, uh, you know, a, a 25-year-old lady was found dead in her, her um, in her, um, you know, uh, dormitory or whatever, what that's saying is that she killed herself. They just try not to announce suicide, um, no, but everyone knows indeed. what it means. So, 
Yeah, so the fact that they've announced that she was found dead by her son, I imagine if you dug a little deeper, they, they will put suicide on, on any kind of death certificate. And um, I don't believe it for a minute. Mm-hmm. That, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but I just wanted to bring it up in passing because we're talking about you know how, how important it is to be vocal and to actually bring attention to things which are going on. And yet so much of it's being brushed under the carpet under the name of censorship. So... Uh, yeah, I, I will look in, into that some more. And um, did this, in my mind, should be in, in the headlines as opposed to some staged, you know, crying from Matt Hancock or whatever on live TV saying how emotional he is that finally they found a, you know, a, a wonder drug vaccination. I mean, vaccination's not a drug, even it's not under a drug's license anyway. So it, it's all riddled with, with nonsense in any case. Um, exactly. But- there, there's there's a lot to come out about this vaccine. I have to say, like, um, a friend of mine came around to the house yesterday um, and, and his, his wife works uh, for a pharmacy uh, within a hospital within um, the greater Derbyshire area. And, and, and he said, oh, sorry, I'm late. He was like, I've had an absolute nightmare. He said, my wife came home from work. It was it was chaos. And I said, oh, well, what's happened? She said, he said, um, Oh, they, um, they're supposed to set up a resuscitation area next to where they administer the vaccines. Now, I've never mm. heard of that before, but there you go. That's, that's what you do for, <laughs> for a, a safe harmless vaccine. vaccination. But, yeah. Yes, but basically at this hospital, they hadn't set up a resus area. So two people had collapsed down after taking the vaccine, it hit the floor and needed to be resuscitated um, and rushed up into the, into the hospital. And, um, and so basically they're all sworn to secrecy or whatever. So I messaged him today and was like, you know, what's the movement with that? Like, what's going on? I'm, I'm looking on the news and there's nothing being reported. And he said that there was a man outside the hospital from 8 p.m. yesterday with a megaphone screaming to the rooftops about what had happened. So I don't mm-hmm. know whether he's a, a relative of one of the people that nearly died, but they can't mm-hmm. keep this under wraps forever. You know, no. they can't. I mean, that's that's one relatively small hospital in one relatively small town. You know, you, you think of the major hospitals, the amount of these vaccines that are being dished out, that it has to come out just how many people are, are collapsing. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it can come out and it will come out. But uh, let's go back on the uh, the positive side because we're on the, uh, the, the, the very slippery slope to the end of the show. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed, that, you know, not amazed, but I mean, I was positively surprised to see how how talented you are i mean you're a writer tv presenter musician and even you have a film planned i believe is it called new a new york story can you you know what's funny do you know what's funny that's from an old um bio that was actually written by a label that i was signed really yeah for about two (laughs) years so no no it it was a fantastic idea and and Mm. so basically what what this label did they're more of a media company than, than a music label so they made films as well and um and the guy that ran the label um was a really nice guy up in manchester um and he really wasn't very well thankfully he's fine now but he really wasn't very well for for quite a period of, around that time so so everything got shelved um and during that time you know as things do life changes and you take different directions and stuff and so it never actually ended up happening but um but it was an interesting idea you know, you know the project looked quite good and and i'm i'm one of those people like i'll just say yes to it anything really within within reason and 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 see where it goes um so hopefully um in the future another project will come up because i'd like to have a go at acting actually i think i think uh i would certainly positively welcome uh you to the stage on on that front i mean you're thinking about film acting or or live live performance acting i mean you've obviously um live performing music already either 
yeah either like i did i did um i did drama as a, a youngster and i really really liked it um, i really enjoyed it I, I just kind of i didn't get on so well with the people i was doing drama with because they were very old school so it was kind of like quite a shakespearean thing i think that was their you know their their um their past of in terms of of drama whereas i was just trying to make everything funny which i can imagine would be very irritating for them which which i get now in in like now i'm older i look back and i think yeah i must have been really annoying um because while we were trying to do projects i was always trying to stick in funny lines and and, and little bits here and there so um i kind of in the end turned my back on it a bit because it was like i wasn't getting on with it but i think i was probably just doing it with the wrong people yeah well you, you've you've done so many things um obviously you know world tour european tour and so on um do you have a, a favorite song do you have something that is the cut above the others that you think has more meaning to you or more meaning to this time is there something you'd like to say that's the one that i would like to uh maybe perhaps play at the end of our show well i've, I've given you um like a couple of links to a couple of songs one called campfire and and, and um one called action over hope which is, i think is probably more more poignant in terms mm -hmm. of now it's very much kind of a call to arms um metaphorically obviously um about the fact that you know action over hope let's just instead of hoping that everything gets better let's actually make it better by doing something about it um but i've got a few new songs that i've written throughout this sort of lockdown period because i mean the second lockdown the national lockdown they had in in england like no one went along with it literally no one everyone just carried on with their lives but the first one everything was closed and so everyone was stuck in, not necessarily stuck in their houses, but stuck in their gardens and stuck in, you know, like there was nothing open. So there was no point going anywhere. Um, and so I ended up sort of writing quite a few new songs and, and um, I was meant to go to Scotland to, to record them. But as I've called her, the, the great Nick Tater, um, Nicholas Sturgeon has kind of shut off <laughs> Scotland. So I can't record. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to do a bit of recording acoustic tracks on the Isle of Wight. And, and there's a couple of those that I think are, would be quite, quite powerful for for what's happening with the world so hopefully once i get them recorded I'll, I'll drop them over to you and see what you think excellent well we very much support you and, and obviously all of your goals is there any way we can do that and also our listeners we have a, a very wide scope of listeners around the world is there anything we can do to help support you with your your cause your goal um don't comply <laughs> that'll make me happy um <laughs> No, yeah. to be honest, my, my I tend to use Twitter a lot um, at the moment, just because it seems to just be an easier way to to get stuff out there. Obviously, I don't know how long, much longer I'll be on there because of the world we live in. I'm sure um, I've got a finite life on there, as as anyone has that's kind of trying to get stuff out into the public. But um, I tend to use that. But but also GarethIke.com. Um, so my music's on there, and you know any speeches that I've been given that are recorded, I, I put them up and. Um, any podcast I'm doing, like this, this, this um, WTAF podcast I'm doing with Rich, um, we put that up on there every week, so or every couple of weeks. So that's the best way to keep in touch. And yeah, just just drop us a message. It'd be nice to hear from people. Absolutely, we, we certainly will. Well, we can certainly paste uh, all of that information onto our links, which our listeners can uh, find at uh, www.theothersideofmidnight.com forward slash uh, T-O-S-N, I think, isn't it, Kintia? Is that correct? That's correct. T-O-S-N, lowercase, after the other side of the midnight.com forward slash. 
Excellent. Well, we're coming to that point. Kintia, would you like to say good night? Thank you, Timothy. And thank you, Gareth, for encouraging us all to live our lives and express our lives fully. In these times when they're trying to dehumanize us, we need to take action to express ourselves from our hearts to the world. Good night, all. Thank you very much, Gareth. It's been an excellent uh, edition of The Other Side of the News. Anessa, would you have anything to close on? Yes, we all need to take action in whatever way we can. And the one thing that we can all do, no matter what, is we can not comply. We can just not do what they're demanding of us. And that is our biggest action that we can take against this tyranny. That's right. <laughs> excellent. Thank you very much, Gareth. Thank and you, Gareth. Thank you. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Cross my aching arms Body language clear yet Brace my breaking heart Make my stand right here For action over hope Make my stand right here For action over hope For action Over hope for action.